Welcome to Calvary Live. We are so glad you could join us through our podcast. Here at Calvary, we want you to live life at the highest level through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope today's message will be an encouragement. You know that Easter is a very special day. It's powerful. It's amazing. Why do we celebrate it? Well, the Bible says after the incredible gift of Jesus dying on our cross in our place for our sins, as incredible as that love was, as amazing as that grace was, if he had not been raised from the dead three days later, it would have all been in vain. So how many are thankful he not only died on the cross for us, but three days later he was raised from that grave? How many are thankful for that today? Let's thank our Lord for that. Amen. Amen. So why in the world on Easter Sunday, when we're talking about resurrection, is your pastor standing in the middle of a graveyard? I mean, what's up with this? There has to be something going on here. So I want to illustrate something very important to us today. I want us to make sure that we take hold of this. Easter, uh, as you know, is not just a holiday on the calendar. It's not just, uh, you know, one of those days we kind of go through the motions and say, well, it's Easter Sunday. No, what I want you to do today, what I'm praying for all of us today, is that we, we not only understand the facts, the details about Easter. It was on the third day that Jesus rose from the grave. But my prayer for us today is that we get beyond just knowing the facts up here and that we encounter the power of the resurrection. Is that fair enough? We need to encounter the power of the resurrection. And that's what this day is all about personally. I want you just to, uh, why don't you say this out loud after me? There's something powerful about what we say and what we believe. Say this after me. I want to experience my own personal resurrection today. How many believe what you just said? I want to experience my own personal resurrection. And I believe God is going to do that. It's going to be very powerful. Let me say, although Easter Sunday is not about, you know, the, the clothes and the outfits, just in honor for him, we do kind of dress up. And I have to say, you look really good today. I mean, you know, tell a person next to you, you look really good today. Now, this isn't a Mac Daddy moment if you don't know that person. I don't mean that. But if you know him, just tell him, you really look good today. You look good. You look sharp. I just want to congratulate you. You know, uh, I was kind of hurt my feelings. I, somebody walked up to me today, and I thought they were going to cra- congratulate me. They said, you clean up pretty good for a country boy. I said, thank you. I'll just take a compliment any way I can get it. You guys look awesome today. Thank you for being here, celebrating this day. I want to pray before I start this message because I have such a sense of God's urgency to get something through to us today. We're not just going to go through the motions. I really believe we have a divine appointment in this room. I believe today God orchestrated this day. I believe he arranged details you don't even know about to get us here today. I don't believe anyone's here by coincidence today. And I feel a great responsibility to make sure that I share with you the heart of God, that you're reminded today how incredibly important you are to him, how you're reminded today that he cares about the details of your life, And he knows your struggles and he knows what's going on. We're not here to just go through the motions, have a religious activity, go through rituals. I want to say it again. I feel so strongly impressed that God wants you to encounter him today, to realize his love for you today. So let's pray. Father, right now, before we go any further with this message, Lord, I pray that every man and every woman in this room, all the boys and girls in our children's ministries will will encounter your presence today. We'll encounter your love today. We'll walk out of this place knowing their life has been changed because they met a real, living, resurrected Jesus today. Lord, we just commit this time to you. Welcome you here today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Well, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 24 and verse number five. Now, all four of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, have their own account of the resurrection, what happened on that day. But I want to go to Luke because there is a question that the angels ask these ladies that I want to ask you today. I believe it may be the most important question that we can answer in our culture. I believe it may be the most important question that any generation could answer. And isn't it amazing how relevant that is? A question that was asked 2,000 years ago is the question you and I need to ask ourselves today. 
Now here's the setting. This is the third day after the cross. Jesus has been resurrected. But these ladies that were coming there had no idea. They were his followers. All they had seen was him die on the cross. They had seen him laid in this tomb. They were hurriedly burying him. It was the end of the day. In the Jewish calendar, sundown is the beginning of the day. The Passover festival was beginning. And so they rushed, wrapped his body in cloths and placed him in the grave. These ladies were coming back to finish basically embalming his body for him to stay there. They had no expectation of a resurrection. They had not understood that. And you know what they were doing is what a lot of us are doing today. They weren't planning resurrection. They didn't think anything could change. They weren't aware that God was going to do something that would change the history of the world. They were just coming to make a bad situation bearable. And today, God's going to do something in your life where maybe you've settled for a bad situation and you really don't have hope it could change. Maybe we've just been told it's always going to be this way. Maybe we've just been told there's nothing you can do about it. Maybe somebody's looked at you and said, you'll always be like this. You can never change. These ladies thought Jesus was dead. It was over. They'd never see him again. And all they had in mind to do was try to make a bad situation a little better. Can I give you some good news today? That's not the God we serve. God is bigger than just being able to help you make a bad situation a little better. I want you to hear me today. God can resurrect you out of the worst situation you have ever been in your life and turn that thing around. Does anybody believe that today? Well, let's look at this this verse, Luke 24 and verse number 5. In their fright, these, these ladies, they were expecting to come to a quiet, somber place of death. And when they arrived, there were angels there. So in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. Listen to this. But the men said to them, they asked them a question, why do you look for the living among the dead? That's the question you and I need to ask ourselves today. Why are we looking for solutions in dead places? Why do we keep searching over and over again in a dead end when God has a better solution for us? Think about what we do sometimes. Why do we think the person that hurt us is somehow going to heal us? Why do we think the relationship that splintered our heart is going to be the solution to our broken heart? Why do we think that the problem that put us in a grave is going to get us out of the grave? Why do we keep looking for life in dead places? Why do we keep expecting the same problem to reverse itself? Why do we keep thinking that we have the answer, that we're the solution? If I try a little harder, if I do a little better, if I switch my marriage partner, if I buy a new house, if I get a new car, if I move to another state, if I get a better job, if somebody gives me some more money, I know some of you are praying, you've even made a deal with God. God, if you let me win the lottery, I drove up to Tennessee, I'll pay my tithe to the church. You know, I, I heard that prayer. I'm not sure I prayed with you, but anyway, you know, this, this is the deal. We keep expecting dead ends to save us. We keep thinking this cycle we're in is going to somehow just change. And so the question the angels asked those ladies, why are you looking for life in dead places? That's why I call this message today, Dead Ends. You know why I put a cemetery up here today? Because I'm convinced that half the people I meet today are living in a cemetery. They're walking dead people. They're trapped in one of these dead ends. And I believe God has something better for you. I believe I got some incredible good news for you today that your life can change. The situation can move. So what are we doing? We're, we're today, I, I could say it like this. This message today, these moments we have together today are for people who've been searching, people who've been looking, people who've been trying to make this thing work. We're all in that honest search. If we'll admit it, if we'll, if we'll, if we'll own up to it, we keep thinking, this is going to satisfy me. If I try this, I'm going to feel better. If I go to this, I'm going to feel better. It's kind of like the lie of, of drugs that, that, that first high on that drug will never be duplicated again. So you go to another one, and you go to another one, and you chase that high all your life. It's a dead end, and I keep looking for something to change. We keep going through those motions, and, and that happens in many, many different ways. So, so for the searchers, the travelers, the people trying to make life work and wondering if you're ever going to find the solution, 
God has some really, really good news for you today. In fact, my prayer today is as we have these moments together, looking into his word, listening to what God has for us, the hope he has, that my prayer is that those of you that have been searching, those of you that have been trying to make this thing work, that you're going to find some freedom today. That we're going to bring some people out of some dead ends. That you're going to find some rest and some hope and some strength happening in your life. I think it's an incredible commentary on the Bible that a question that was asked 2,000 years ago is the number one question we ought to be asking ourselves today. It's amazing how relevant God is to us. We keep looking in the wrong places. In fact, this is Alabama, and I think I might illustrate it like this. Some of you country music lovers... Looking for love. I knew you'd been there. Looking for love and all the... Yeah, I knew I was in the right place today. So see, that's what happened. Isn't that funny? We write songs about it. Looking for living things where it's dead. Searching out an answer. Looking for love in all the wrong places. Trying to make this life work with the same broken cycle. So what is God going to do about that? Let's look at this. I think one of these first dead ends that we could ever get trapped in, I'm looking for it around here, and here it is right behind me, is bitterness. Bitterness is a dead end. Bitterness is a plague in our culture today. Bitterness and wounded hearts and angry feelings and high emotions has become a lifestyle in our culture. And maybe you've battled that. Maybe you're dealing with that bitterness is one of the dead ends that Satan has been so successful. What causes bitterness? We're angry because we're disappointed that we weren't treated fairly, or at least we think we weren't. I expected this, and you did that. My hope was this, and this happened. I had an expectation. I had a hope. I I thought if I did this, this is what would come back to me. I thought if I loved you, you'd love me back. I thought if I trusted you that you were trustworthy. They're angry. We're bitter. We're upset because someone we trusted, some expectation we had has blown up in our face. And so bitterness begins to come. You treated me unfairly. Do you know for someone to wound us, for bitterness to come, it usually has to happen from someone very close to you. You've got to be close to a person for them to wound you. You've got to be close to a person for that bitterness to happen in your life. It's kind of like the picture of Jesus and Judas when he betrayed him in the garden. Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver and they went to arrest him in the garden at night. And they said, so how are we going to know which one to arrest? And Judas says, the one I kiss, that's the one you grab. Can you imagine? Betrayed by a kiss. Maybe you've been betrayed by kids. Maybe you've been betrayed by somebody really, really close to you. And because of that, this bitterness starts to well up inside of us. And it begins to run our life. It becomes a dead end to us. And we don't know how to escape this trap. It's something that's really damaging. Look at uh, Genesis chapter 37 and verse 3 and 4. Let me show you an illustration. Maybe you have your own story. And you can relate to this. But one of the things that's amazing in the Bible, God never hides the rough parts in people's lives. There's something you can relate to. There's something there that you can understand. And if you're battling this dead end called bitterness today, I've got some really good news for you. The people around you are going to be happy that we've got some really good news about this today. Look, look with me here. We're in Genesis 37 and verse number 3. Now Israel, that was his father, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Now, there's a problem right there. You don't have to raise your hand or point at people, all right? Have you grown up or are you, or are you in a family that's dysfunctional, that's imbalanced, where you're not treated equally? See, Joseph was loved more. That's not right. And, and so because of that, look, look, look what happens. Uh, because he'd been born to him in his old age, and he made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. There was bitterness in this family. His brothers wanted to be treated the same way he was treated. His brothers wanted their father to love them the way he loved Joseph. And so because of that, this unfulfilled expectation, this sense of of you're not treating me fairly, this bitterness began to grow in that family. Guys, bitterness is a dead end. Bitterness is not a little thing. Bitterness is a monster. Bitterness is a burden that you weren't made to carry. 
And because these young men became bitter, it didn't end with that. Not only were their words bitter and sharp and penetrating, but at one point they said, we're going to kill our brother. And then they decided they wouldn't kill him. They sold him as a slave. And so it's amazing to me, Joseph could have been bitter. His brothers treated him unfairly. It wasn't his fault because of what his father chose to do. And yet when they sell him as a slave, he goes down to Egypt. And in Egypt, God blesses him. Do you know why? Because he refused to become bitter. He ultimately becomes second in command. And then years later, look at this. The brothers that betrayed him, that hated him, that were bitter to him, came looking for food to survive. They had no idea their brother was alive. When they discovered it was him, they were horrified because this is what they thought. He's going to do to us what we did to him. He's going to take revenge on us. He's going to pay us back. Our life is about over. And Joseph looked at them and said, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to worry. What you did to me, what you designed to destroy me, because I trusted God. God turned your attack against me into a blessing. God took what you planned to destroy me, and he blessed and promoted my life. And now I'm going to take care of you. You need to understand, we have a choice about bitterness. We have a solution about bitterness, this thing that, that tries to get into our families and trap us. Hebrews chapter 12 says, and in verse 15, that bitterness is like a root that defiles everything around it. Anybody bitter in your family? Are there sharp words when the family gets together? Is there jealousy? Is there anxiety? This bitterness defiles. Bitterness will defile a family. A bitter wife will defile a marriage. A bitter husband will define, defile a marriage. A bitter parent will, will defile a child. A bitter child will defile a family. It goes on and on and on. This is a situation that Satan designed to lock us in a grave and keep us in this place. And it spreads and it spreads. So what's the answer for this? What are we going to do? What, what happens? John Bevere in his book, he talks about something called the bait of Satan. He said it's like setting a trap for us. And they bait the trap with offenses. Somebody mistreats us. Somebody says something to me they shouldn't say Life doesn't come out the way I wanted it to. The, the bait is there. And you know what happens when we take the bait? We become offended. And now we're walking around angry and bitter. And we're trapped in this grave. And we don't know if there's ever going to be a way out. So let me ask you. What's the boiling point for water? If you want to boil water, what temperature do you have to reach? Everybody in the house knew how to sing looking for love in the wrong places. And three people knew the answer to boiling water. You've been listening to music more than studying school. But I'm going to let you pass on that, all right? Water boils at 212. So what's your point, Pastor? You know what bitterness does? It keeps you at about 210 all the time. You're right there at 210. You live your life at 210. What does that mean? It doesn't take very much and you explode. It doesn't take very much and it pops off. When a person's not bitter, you have a little buffer. How many know what I'm talking about? You know those nice people around you? And, and, and you know how they're nice to be around and things can happen and, and, and we get okay. But there's that one guy. He's at 210 all the time. You know him. He works with you, doesn't he? Somebody may be at your home. You don't want him to come to family reunion. You know what I'm talking about? Because all you got to do is give them the wrong piece of turkey instead of ham. And they're blowing up. Why? Because they live at 210. You know what's happened? They're walking around trapped in that dead end called bitterness. There's only one really one thing we can do about that. We're going to have to look to God. We're going to have to realize there's an answer. That bitterness is not what God designed for us. That bitterness is not where we're supposed to live the rest of our life. Colossians chapter 3, let me show you this. In verse 13, says that there's an answer. There's something we can do. And it's not easy. But when you trust God with this, God can bring you out of that grave. It says, bear with each other. Look at this. And forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, how do you do that? What does it say? Read that last sentence out loud with me. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. All right. So how do I forgive the people that treat me unfairly? How do I begin to come out of this bitter place? How do I get out of this dead end that's trapped me? I have a choice. I can forgive. He said, well, pastor, they don't deserve to be forgiven. And what about deserving? Because he said, forgive as God did what? Forgave us. How many of you were deserving when Jesus forgave you? How many of us deserved 
what Jesus did on the cross. We didn't deserve that. He did that because we needed it. He did that because he loved us. I want you to look at the cross if you're dealing with bitterness today. And I want you to remember how much Jesus loved you. I want you to remember what he did for you. I want you to remember that at your worst, not your best, at your worst, he went to the cross and paid price for our sins. Not when we earned it, not when we were good, not when we were great, not when we were living this life, but before we were Christians, when we were rebellious, disobedient, didn't care, didn't want him, he went to the cross and died for us anyway because he loved us, because we needed it. And if he forgave me of all my sins, come on, anybody with me today? Anybody here ever had a sin? Anybody ever needed forgiveness? If he would do that for us, he can help us do that for someone else. God can help us do that. Can I tell you what unforgiveness is like? Harboring a grudge, plotting revenge, living with your temper at 210 all the time, living in bitterness. You know what unforgiveness is like? Unforgiveness is like drinking poison, thinking it's going to hurt the other guy. It's killing you. It's killing you. Unforgiveness is like me getting up in the morning and saying, I'm going to get that guy back, and so I'm going to get him back. I'm going to drink poison. Unforgiveness traps me in this place called bitterness. But I'm thankful today to tell you that Jesus is not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. I'm here to tell you that bitterness doesn't need to stay in your life, become your cave, become your chain, become your stronghold. I'm here to tell you today, I know people who were so bitter they could not live life. But God came in and healed the broken place and pulled them out of that grave. I know people that were very bitter who are the happiest people you'll ever meet today. I know people that have the joy of the Lord that used to walk around bitter. I know people today that you want them at your dinner and they were the people if they saw you coming before they'd shut the door and hide. God can walk in your grave of bitterness and pull you out of that place and give you another start on life. But you know, we, what we have to look at is that's not the only place that the enemy catches us and traps us because this place here, this grave, this trap may be one of the most difficult anybody encounters. That's depression. Depression has permeated our culture today. We, mental health people tell us it's rampant. It is everywhere. It is consuming young people. And it is it's robbing people of their hope and their life. Depression. Depression is real. Nobody chooses that. Nobody wants that. And I want to tell you today that there are godly Christian counselors that can help you. You need to see them. And I, what I want to tell you today is that you bring the combination of the healing grace of God and a godly person to help you walk through some things. And God can bring you out of that grave. Somebody say amen to that. God can get you out of that place. You don't have to live the rest of your life like a zombie walking around a dead person, the living dead. God wants to heal you, bless you, bring you out of this. Let me encourage you with something. In the upper room at the Last Supper with the disciples, Jesus said, you know I'm about to be crucified. On the third day, I'm going to be raised back to life. And then I'm going to ascend back to heaven. But I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And you know what he named the Holy Spirit? One of the names, he said, I'm going to send a counselor to you. Come on. Now, here's what he said. You may be walking through the most difficult time of your life. Bitterness is angry and hot. Depression is cold and dark and lonely and despairing and isolated. And we get trapped in this place. Good people, wonderful people, people that have been hurt. How does depression come? There was something I really hoped would happen, and it didn't happen. There was someone that I really loved and, and I needed, and I lost them. There's something that I've been waiting on so long, and I don't think it's ever going to happen. And I've just given up. Really, I'm kind of hopeless, and I'm becoming isolated. My life's becoming narrow and small. And I don't have an answer. And I don't know what to do. But I can tell you something. Jesus said, I'm going to send you a counselor. Isn't that amazing? I'm going to send you a counselor. And this is what he said. And he's going to come and he's going to live inside of you. And with this counselor, you don't have to wait a week to make an appointment. Anybody hear what I just said? You can wake up in the morning with the Holy Spirit walking you out of that place. 
You can go to bed at night with the Holy Spirit walking you out of this place. And everyone you know may have walked off and left you in life. But I want to introduce you today to the God who loves you so much that he will place inside of you his spirit that will counsel you, that will walk into your depression, that will step inside that grave with you. Get inside that dead end and say, I love you too much to leave you here by yourself. I love you too much to put you in this place. I'm going to bring you out. I'm going to resurrect you. I'm going to turn your life around. I'm thankful there's good news for depression today. I'm thankful that Jesus can do that. You might say, well, pastor, it sounds good on Easter Sunday morning, but you don't know where I walked. You don't know what I faced. You don't know what caused the depression in my life. And I may well not know that, but I know someone that does. The Bible says Jesus was tempted in every point, just like us. Think about his earthly life. God who came and put on our human flesh, remained God on the inside, but limited to all of our limitation. Think about him, his conception. (laughs) Who believed that? Who believed his little teenage virgin mother, engaged but not married, who said, I've got good news for everyone. I'm going to have a baby, but it's not what you think. It's God. And he's going to be the savior of the world. How many in that little quiet community believed his mother? How many people whispered behind her back? How many people pointed at him when he went to school? How many people said, you know, his mother's not only a liar, his mother's a little. How many whispered? How many children never let him fit in their group? How lonely did his walk in that small town? But before he came back from Bethlehem to grow up there, they were warned that Herod the king wanted to kill all the babies. And so they went down to Egypt. So Jesus not only knew the rejection of his own community, he knew what it was like to move from one place to the next place. The new kid in the school trying to fit in, isolated, lonely, not like anyone else. Life not being what he thought. And then as he's growing up, his own religious leaders, as he began his ministry, hated him. They called him a demon. Can you imagine going to your place of worship and the one who's teaching God's word, the one who's your leader, looks at you when God uses you and say, you're a demon. You're a liar. You're a blasphemer. They rejected him. His own disciples betrayed him the night before his crucifixion. And I'm going to tell you, whatever you've walked through, wherever you may be today, There is a God who loves you so much he was willing to feel and face and walk and live and know exactly what depression is doing to you because he got in that grave with you. He got in that moment with you and walked through those things. Why? Because he has plans for you. Because where you are today is not what you're always going to be. Because what you feel today is not the end of what you're going to feel. God can do that. God can bring you out. Maybe shame has put you in. Maybe guilt put you in depression. Maybe your self-esteem is so low you think, God can't love me. God can't help me. Oh, yes, he can. And that's why the angel asked the question. And that's why I'm asking the question on God's behalf. Why do we keep looking for life in dead places? Why do we keep thinking that depression and bitterness is all that God has for me? Why do we keep thinking that's the way it will always be? I'm here to tell you in the name of Jesus, he's the God of the living. He's the God of resurrection. And whatever life has done to bury you, God walked in your life today to bring you up out of that grave and put hope back in your life again. He's that big. He's that great. He's that strong. That's our God. There have been some great people depressed in the Bible. Elijah, in 1 Kings 18, faced 850 false prophets on a mountain. And he prayed, God, if you're real, these people don't believe in you. Send fire down on this altar. And God answered by fire. What a man of God. What a bold man. The king and the queen both hated him and wanted him to die. He's facing a nation that wouldn't choose. God answers. It's the high point of his life. But the Bible says the next day, that queen says, if I catch him, I'll kill him like those prophets. So what does Elijah do? Elijah says, you know, I'm going to run for my life. <laughs> you, know what, you know what he said? He said, God's been a good God, but I'm going to change my address and move in over here. 
And he tells his servant, don't come with me. I'm going out by myself. Have you ever noticed when the devil tries to put you in this grave, he likes you to go there by yourself? Have you ever noticed that you don't have much company at the pity party? Have you ever noticed that depression's kind of an isolated thing? So he tells his servant, leave me alone. He goes into the desert. He climbs under a tree. He says, oh God, just kill me today. Don't want to live. Depression will cause you to think of suicide. Depression will cause you to think there's no solution for me. There's no answer for me. And I'm here to tell you, God's word is still true. God says, I know who you are. God said, I know number of hair on your head. The Bible says he's caught our tears in a bowl. The Bible says he has plans for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. And he's not taking his word back. Did anybody hear what I just said? And so what happens? Elijah says, God, you know, I- I'm done. And-, and-, and God comes to him and says, Elijah, I'm not through with you. Get up. So Elijah still can't get over. So he goes and he finds a cave and he hides in the cave. And God comes and finds him in the cave and says, Elijah, would you please get out of that cave? I'm not through with you. I, I know I'm not God, <laughs> thank God, but I'm, I think I'm speaking for him right now. And I think God has sent me to knock on the door of some caves this morning and say, what are you doing in that cave? Why have you given up? I'm here rattling your door. I'm here rattling your chain. You might not like what I'm doing, but somebody's got to do it. So I'm going to rattle your grave. In fact, I'm going to come. Some of you right now have been in here so long, I, I'm knocking. You say, leave me alone. It's quiet in here. Can't help it. God said, what are you doing in that cave? And I'm asking you, what are you doing? So Elijah says, well, God, I'm the only one left. We always blow up the bad news. I'm the only one left. And he says, Elijah, I've got 7,000 men of God that have never bowed their knee. You're not by yourself. Are you listening to me today? You're not by yourself. God hasn't given up on you. God can rescue you and bring you out of this place. That's the God we serve. He's mighty. But I got to show you this before we're through. See, this one says counterfeits. I want to make this quick. Counterfeits. What are counterfeits? They're substitutes for the real thing. What are counterfeits? Listen to me closely. How do we get in this grave? Making really bad short-term decisions. Really bad short-term decisions. We get panicked. We get stressed. You know what happens? We stop believing God will do what he said. We walked out on God before the time was right. If Easter Sunday says anything to you and to me, you know what it says? God's calendar is not my calendar. Because when somebody's dead, we say it's over. But when God's son, Jesus, died, it wasn't over until God said it was over. I mean, three days later, it was better than it had ever been. And I'm going to tell you, there's a danger in grabbing and making short-term decisions. Many of us got in our biggest problems doing that. God told Abraham and Sarah, he said, I'm going to give you a child. Now, Abraham was 75 and, and, and Sarah was 65 when God said, you're going to have a son. Now, some of you would not call that a blessing. Some of you seniors right now wouldn't call that a blessing. Some of us might be shocked. But God said, I'm going to do it. That was their desire. So they had to wait. In fact, it took 25 years till the right time came. God didn't have to work on it 25 years. When God said he was going to do it, he already knew what day it was going to happen. But they had to wait. Somewhere along the way, listen to me. This gets kind of rough but real. Sarah came to her husband and says, look, old man. This isn't working. God said we're going to have a son. We need a son. So I've got a, say it, counterfeit. I've got a short-term bad decision for us. He says, so what's your decision? What's your idea? What's the solution? Since you don't think God can do what he said. She said, I've got this little handmaiden here. I've got this little servant girl. So I'm going to give her to you. And She could have a baby, and then that'll be my baby. That was a really good idea, wasn't it? Don't act like you're at church. You know exactly what I just asked you. How many know that's not going to work? So here's a, are you ready for this? 80-year-old lady, and her husband now has a 25-year-old surrogate. He's the baby's. He's a baby daddy now. And they're living in the same house. And 
That's supposed to be a solution. Well, what happens? You know what happens. She has the baby. And now Sarah comes to Abraham. Now listen, I, I don't have time for counseling this morning and I'm sure don't want to be, uh, what do you say? I don't want to be called a misogynist, right? But it was her idea. That's all I'm saying. So, but it was his idea to say yes. Come on, how many here? You know what I'm saying? You know, there's a whole lot of us like that. It wasn't my idea. She said do it. Oh, big guy, you can't think for yourself? Okay, so anyway. So now Sarah comes to him and says, Abram, you got a problem. Oh, now it's his problem. He said, what's my problem? She said, that woman who has your child is starting to be disrespectful to me. That woman who had your child is acting like she's my boss. Duh. We didn't see that coming. We didn't think that was going to happen. You didn't see that train coming down the track a long time before it got there. What happened to them? They made a really bad decision. And that short-term decision had some long-term consequences. Anybody with me today? Do you know the son that that handmaiden had with Abraham is the originator of the Arab race? The other son that was finally born, like God said he would do, and the right time he did it, is the, the, the leader of the Jewish faith. Do you realize that the Middle East to this day is a powder keg affecting you and I in this country right now about what happens? Because a man and a woman made a bad short-term decision millennials ago. Do you understand that even when I think I know better than God, I might just need to have a little patience and wait on God? Is anybody with me right now? Bad short-term decisions. They're, they're, they're kind of raw. They're kind of rough. David was an incredible king, a mighty king, a mighty warrior, a mighty general who led his army into victory, who was a man who wrote incredible songs about worshiping God. But as he got a little older, his army said to him one time, look, you don't need to go fight the battle. You stay home and we'll go fight the battle. So David's home and he's bored. Are you listening to me? Bad short-term decision. And so he's restless. He's walking around. He should have been out doing what God created him to do. But because he wasn't doing what God created him to do, he got bored. There's a lot of people making bad decisions today because you're not walking in the purpose of God in your life. And you're bored and you're looking for something to make life work. Can I tell you, if you'll find the purpose of God for your life, we'll stop making bad short-term decisions. The Bible says that David went up on the rooftop one night. That seems innocuous. It's, it's, it, there's nothing wrong with that except there was a guideline in those cities of the day that the women would wait to a certain hour to go on the roof to bathe and men were not supposed to go up at that time. Everybody knew that. But David made a bad short-term decision. Although he knew what time it was, how many are listening to me right now? You know, a lot of say, well, I didn't see that coming. Yes, you did. You knew what you did before you got there. Okay. I didn't know they sold crack at the crack house. You mean they serve booze at the bar? You mean if I go on eHarmony and just put my picture up just to see somebody's going to call me back? And you know, you're 55 and got your high school graduation picture on there. Shame on you anyway. Let me go on. So David makes a bad short-term decision. And he walks up on the roof. And he saw what he shouldn't have seen. He wouldn't have seen it if he hadn't been up there. But he made a bad short-term decision. So while he's up there, having made one bad short-term decision, he sees Bathsheba and makes another bad short-term decision. And because he has to cover up what happened between him and that woman in her pregnancy, he makes another bad short-term decision and has her husband eliminated. And then he's got to deal with that. What I want you to see is that the devil is great at screaming in your ears, you better do something now. The devil is great at screaming in your ears, you better take this in your hand. You better make it work. You better make it happen. And what we have to understand is there's a dead end, a dead end. And we're running at it really fast. <laughs> and we're about to make a crash. And it's called counterfeits, substituting what I can do for the place of God. They're short-term. They're short-lived. They have consequences. And most of us, when we've made those decisions, the devil screams in our ears, you blew it, pal. 
There's nothing you can do about that. You're there. You did it. You're stuck. That's your life. But I have some good news for you. Listen to me today. Even if you made the bad decision, even if you made the bad choice, we serve the God who is able, if you give him what you have, the good, the bad, the ugly, the mess, the consequence, our God is big enough, good enough, kind enough, gracious enough. He will step in that stinky, nasty grave we dug and grab us by our hand and say, I still love you. I haven't given up on you. I'm not going to throw you away. I'm going to give you one more chance. That's the God we serve. That's what Easter means. I want to wrap with this. It's the last one. I don't have to say it much. This bad boy <laughs> might be what gets us all. It's called self. The dead end of self. I don't have to say much, do I? It's like King Saul, first king of Israel. When he first was appointed and anointed king, he was humble. He trusted God. He, he was in awe of God and not himself. He was dependent upon God's word. He followed Samuel the prophet. He, he, he was started well. Listen to me. I'm closing. Somewhere on the journey, he began to forget the God who put him on the throne. He began to take for granted the God who had been good and blessed him. He began to take back things he thought he could do that only God had done. And finally, he gets caught in a bind, and he's waiting on the priest prophet to come bless his army and the men are restless and he says I don't have time to wait on God I'm going to step over here and do it myself and what God had helped that man do God could no longer bless God could no longer enable you know a lot of people I hear them they're mad at God and they point their finger at God and say well you know God's punishing me God's not punishing you you're reaping the consequences of your own decisions you sowed it you're reaping it you chose it you're dealing with it and it's easier to blame God, I guess, because then we're not responsible. Oh, God's out to get me. Listen, pal, if God was out to get you, you'd be God. Pardon my grammar. You'd be God. You're not that hard to find. You're not that fast. I'm not that smart. If God wanted to get us, we'd be God. You know why you're breathing and living and hearing this right now? Because of his mercy. Because of his grace. You know what happens when self, when we fall in that grave, when we fall in that dead end, of self, here's what happens. Because we're self-made, pride gets in our life. We become very controlling because it's up to me and I've got to make every detail work. See, we begin to build walls around ourselves because you can't trust anybody. See, I made this world. I made this life. I made this world. I'm a self-made woman. I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made success. I don't need you. I don't need people. I'll use people, but I don't need people. I build the walls. But you know what happens? Our relationships become really shallow. And those walls that we think protect us become prison walls that lock us into this place. And even when we win, it's very shallow celebrations because there's nobody at the party but you. Self. Self. I did it. Did it my way. I did it my way. I did my thing. Our relationships don't work. Our emotions are flat. And the only emotion we usually have is anger or fear. We hide the fear because it's me. It's self. But the good news for us today is that the God we serve, the Jesus I'm telling you about today, is not afraid of graveyards. <laughs> He's not afraid of cemeteries. He's not afraid of tombstones. He's not afraid of my failures. He's not afraid of my choices that were really bonehead. He's not afraid of the things that made me bitter. He's not intimidated by what depressed me and robbed me of hope. He's bigger than the self that I've allowed to come over my life. And the good news is today is when we get ready to get out of the grave, I know somebody that's been in one and came out. When we get ready to see our life change, I know somebody that is there to do it. You were created for better than to be a walking dead person. You were created for better than to live your life wrapped up in a grave, making excuses, saying it's not so bad. Just like those women, remember, that came? I want to say to you today, stop redecorating your tomb and start having a resurrection in that tomb. Stop putting up with the lies and say, I'm done with it. It's time we say, I'm sick and tired of being sick 
and tired. I am not going to lie to myself. I'm not going to play a game. I'm not going to act like it's okay when it's not okay. I have a God who knows me and loves me and will jump in the grave with me and love me out of that grave until he's restored me to the highest place that I ever thought we could be. You see, I have to trust him. I have to believe in him. I have to realize this is what excites me. Romans 8 says, listen to this. The same spirit, say same spirit. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead quickens my body right now. I can tell you that this grave called counterfeit, short-term, bad decision, decisions, that grave, that old devil that's over that grave, he's trembling right now. He's scared right now because you've been hearing truth. You've been hearing life. You've been getting to say, you know, maybe I'm looking in the wrong place. And the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead wants to come turn that grave over and do something in your life. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is not afraid of your bitterness and your anger and your disappointment. And he says, come on, let's get out of this thing. That same spirit that raised him from the dead is looking for someone to say, Jesus, I'm ready to come out of this grave. I'm ready to walk out of this depression. He's ready to come in and get rid of depression. He's ready to get rid of self. You know, sometimes, well, let me say every time, before there's a resurrection, there has to be a death. You can't have a resurrection until there's a death. I want to challenge you today to say, I'm going to die to all of my choices. I'm going to die to all of my bitterness. I'm going to die. I don't want an excuse. I don't want company. I don't want to stay in this place. Jesus, I want you to raise me from this place. I want resurrection to happen in my life. I want this Easter Sunday to be not a day where you said, okay, check the box, went to church, Easter Sunday. I want this to be a day where Jesus gets up close and personal in our dead ends and said, I love you too much to leave you here. I love you too much to walk off from you. I love you too much for this to be the last chapter of your life. I really feel that God has given us this moment. And, and you'll remember when old Lazarus had been dead for four days. You remember that account, John 11? Four days he'd been dead. And Jesus comes and Lazarus' sister, Mary, to be honest, had a little bit of an attitude. Martha ran out and met him. Mary wouldn't go. And Jesus comes to Mary, says, hello, Mary, I'm here. She goes, if you'd have been here, you wouldn't be dead. I mean, she had an attitude with Jesus. Have you ever had an attitude with Jesus? Don't raise your hand. Some of you had. That's why you're depressed. That's why you're bitter. He didn't answer my prayer. He didn't do what I asked him to do. This was my expectation, and God, you let me down. This was my expectation, and you didn't make it happen. That's how they approached Jesus that day. They had a little attitude when Jesus got to the funeral. Had a little attitude when he showed up. Jesus pushed past that. Aren't you thankful that he pushed past our craziness? He said, take me to the tomb. Take me to the tomb. He said, let's get to the, de- let's get to the deal. I got my boy in there. Something needs to happen. And he says, move that stone. They go, oh, no. It stinks in there. You know what? Right now, Jesus is walking up to your life, standing in front of you in this room. And you know what he says? Hey, let me in. And a lot of us will say, oh, Lord, it's not good in here. He's, he's okay. Lord, it's not good in here. It stinks in here. I've been in, this, I've been in this trap a long time. I've been in this grave a long time. This dead end has become my life. He says, I want to come in. And if you have the courage and the trust, no matter how stinky it's gotten, no matter how distasting, how burdened, how bondage, how wrapped in chain, I'm going to tell you there's no addiction that he can't break. Are you listening to me? See, I've seen too much. You know, it's hard to argue with a man with a testimony. I've seen hundreds of alcoholics and drug addicts set free in my years I've been a pastor. Are you listening to me today? Thank you. I've seen it. I've seen too much for you to tell me you can't do it. I've seen broken marriages healed. I've seen adulterers confess and repent and God heal a marriage. I've seen people make bad decisions and I've seen God walk in the middle of that when nobody else was there for them and turn that thing around. That's the God we serve. I know it stinks behind there. I know it's embarrassing behind there. I know we've been in a grave so long we don't want anybody to see it, but I'm going to tell you something. If you'll give him a chance, he'll walk in. I'm not offering you religion today. I'm not offering you ritual. I'm offering you an opportunity to open that door and say, Jesus, come in this mess. 
Jesus, come in this bondage. Jesus, come in my life. The question is, will I do it? I want you to stand with me. I want you to stand, please, and don't leave. You might interrupt something God's doing in someone's life. Just stand for a moment. We'll be, we'll be dismissed. I want my worship team to come join me. Guys, we get in cycles. Listen to me closely. We get in strongholds. We get in cycles. In these dead ends, and people tell me, Pastor, I, I can't get out. I, I don't know how to break it. I'm, I'm tired of it, but, but I'm trapped. These cycles, these strongholds, listen to me, they're greater than you and me, but they're not greater than God. Those things will repeat on us. Those patterns will come back around on us, but they're not stronger than God. Jesus faced death, hell, and the grave and conquered every one of them. Jesus broke every chain that the devil ever designed. The Bible says when he came out of the grave, he carried the keys Are you with me? Some of you say, I'm locked up, but Jesus has the key to your lock. He has the key to your dead end. He has the key to what the devil tried to do to you. The key's in his hand today. And all he's saying is, will you let me come in this place? I want to do something for your life. So I want us to pray together right now. I want us to take a moment. And as we're here together, I want us just to take this moment and really ask ourselves, am I willing to let him come in? Am I willing for my life to change? Or do you want to be the same place a year from now? Cycle repeats. Problem repeats. Same dead end. Same place. Same identity. Guys, if we could change it, we'd change it. If you could change it, you would have changed it by right now, by this time. But here's the question. Will I let him come in? He walked right up to Lazarus' tomb. said, move that stone. Lazarus, come forth. I believe the Spirit of God's here today. And I want to say on behalf of the Lord, if you're a Lazarus today, if you're waiting for Jesus to come, if you've said it's too late, it's four days, if you said if you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened, but maybe you need to trust him one more time. Are you listening to me? Maybe he didn't do it when you thought he would do it, but it's not too late because he's here now. And I want to say to every Lazarus in the room, Lazarus, come forth. I want to say to everybody in the dead end of bitterness, come out of there. I want to say to everybody in depression, come out of there. I want to say to everyone trapped in their self, come out of there. I want to say to every bad decision, come out of that place. God is able. And God is here right now. So I want to pray for you. I want you to open your heart. I want you just to be honest before the Lord and say, God, come on, pray this with me. In your own words, not out loud, but just you pray it something like this in your own words, something like it. Lord, we're standing in front of you right now and we know we've made some choices. God, we know we may have believed some lies. Lord, we may have been victimized by families and friends and rejection and betrayal. But Lord, we want out. We're ready to change. We're tired of relying on ourselves. We, we've had so much pride about what we can do and it's, it's time to trust you. Lord, we thought that it was too late, and it's not too late. We thought that, that, that Jesus was just for certain people, and we realized you're for everyone. That you're near to those with broken hearts. That you're the father running to the prodigal son on his way home. That you're the father running to the prodigal daughter on her way home. That you're not running away from us. You're running to us right now. And we're going to say, come, Jesus, right where we are. Right where we are. Right where we are. We're going to say, come, Jesus. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. You can connect with us live each Wednesday and Sunday through our social media pages. If today's message has blessed you, please rate and review us so that more people can hear this message of Christ. Find out more about Calvary on our website at calvaryassembly.org.